Hello and welcome to Uplifting Impact. It's so great to have another opportunity to be with all of you today. Today I am joined with by Layla Okai. She is the founder and the director of Diverse Minds UK LTD. Diverse Minds aims to create a positively productive workplace for all through training, coaching, and consultancy. The focus that she has is really on well-being, mental health, and understanding the differences. Layla has over 17 years of experience in developing and implementing diversity, inclusion, and equity practices with senior leadership teams. She's also the host of the award-winning Diverse Minds podcast, a weekly show about the mental health and about mental health, excuse me, and inclusion. Welcome to our show, Layla. Thank you so much for having me. We are so delighted. Someday we also are going to be able to say we're an award-winning podcast. It's probably going to be because we get to have great guests on like you. Uh, So Layla, to, to jump us off in this conversation, could you just give our audience a sense of what inspired you to become an advocate for the overall well-being of individuals within an organization? You know, I think I've always been someone who hasn't been part of the mainstream. So growing up, whether it was at school and then when I started my journey in the workplace, it always felt like things were a struggle. It felt like things I had to fight for things. And even though I didn't personally struggle with my mental health, I knew I saw people who were similar to me and they were really struggling with their their mental health. And when I say I didn't struggle with my mental health, of course, I did in the sense that things weren't always easy and there were a lot of periods where you want to give up the fight where you don't feel particularly great but I was lucky enough to have tools and support around me to build myself back up and some people don't have that and of course if people experience mental illness there's no shame in that that there's nothing to be ashamed of but it's what are the systems and it's not just about swallowing pills and having time off work that might be part of your recovery process but of course it's so much more than that and I just saw there was a big gap so this was in the UK in around 2012 where there was was more conversations happening about mental health, mental well-being, um, and we're further on than that. Although I think with this pandemic globally, mental ill health has just gone through the roof. So this subject was starting to be talked about. It's not going anywhere, sadly, um, and people need support. So I really appreciate what you just said about this idea of mental health and how it plays so closely into our ability to be successful at work. But that's not the way that, you know, we've always talked about it. It's not the way that it always is talked about, even in this day and age. So what is one of the ways that you have been able to bring that conversation to the forefront? Like, how do you even get organizations to start thinking about mental health as one of the priority areas? Mm, I think that part of my job and how I do that has been made easy because uh, people are you know, willing to address that because they know um, there have been a number of studies in the UK that have shown that if you don't support your workforce, productivity goes down, you lose money, people become disengaged, they're increased recruitment costs. So I think that really helps. I also think that there's a, a culture of competition uh, around which workplace has better initiatives, which workplace is doing the nice shiny things that then do have an impact. And I think most employers are starting to realize that this isn't going anywhere. And that, of course, your personal life and your professional life 
are not separate. They blend into one another. So you have to look after your employees so they can be be fulfilled, be part of the organization and that it's not something separate. And in order to have a productive workplace, that is an intrinsic part. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's so great when organizations, to your point, are taking this area really and and elevating it, right? And prioritizing it. Mm. Because I think one of the things that we see, especially from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens, is that when you do that, you don't just make it better for the individuals who maybe, you know, have, have different mental health issues that they're that they're experiencing, but you actually benefit everybody, right? If you're paying attention to the well-being, because all of us are experiencing to some degree, right, different things that are ha- happening with our mental wellness. Yeah, I would say that no one wakes up every single day of their life feeling mentally optimum. So like they can take (laughs) on the world. I mean, if you do, wow, that's amazing. But I I agree with you. It's like some people can run a marathon with no training, but most of us have to train and it's exactly the same with our mental well-being. We have to think about what foods nourish us. We have to think about, you know, if we feel low, we might need to um, have extra time in bed and just relax. If we want to quiet our mind, we might do meditation, yoga, go for a run. So all of those things, just like we do with our physical health, um, in order to keep our physical health at its peak condition, but exactly the same, we need to do things activities, things that work for us that will help our mental well-being. Yeah. So what are some of the things, and I guess specifically related back to if we were, if we were taking a look at different ethnic groups, right? Mm -hmm. How do these two things overlay? So looking at mental health and also looking at what's happening as we're thinking about bringing more diverse uh, populations in, you know, we, we talk on this podcast and we spend a lot of time talking about diversity, equity, inclusion through a race lens. So I'm just curious Mm -hmm. as to how, how these two things overlap. I think, Deanna, they overlap in so many ways in the sense that um, a lot of therapeutic models and a lot of the way in which mental health and well-being is approached is very much from a Eurocentric white lens. Um, so if you think about, you know, Jung, Freud, all these things, and I'm not I'm not disputing them, but I'm saying that there are other models are, of course, available, which aren't always available in, in, in the widest sense. So it might be for some communities going to their place of religious worship and having that moment brings them that mental well-being and therefore they need the time to do that. It might be that in some cultures they don't talk about mental ill health because they don't have the time because actually what they've been told and there was a really interesting study done in the UK with um, a black female pastor community uh, around black Caribbean British women's experience and some of the the anecdotes that came back were we don't have time to be depressed, we're too busy and if we're depressed our children might be taken away from us. Um, I sit in the fire with it, no, in front of the fire, like my grandmother taught me, and I read the Bible, and that helps my mental well-being. I don't have time to be sick, you know. That's a really harsh reality. Um, and also, what are the models? Are things like African storytelling that have incredible therapeutic properties, and some people may listen to that and think mm, that's interesting, but it does work, and I know it works for many, many communities. You know, for some communities where people are bilingual, trilingual, quadrilingual, um, there might not be the words that we have in English to express ourselves. So 
There might be other ways that we need to talk about our mental health and well-being or when we become mentally unwell, what are the ways in which we describe those and how are we able to access support or not access support? And I think workplaces do a lot in providing services um, like employee assistance programs. I know in America, obviously, you have private healthcare. Um, some companies in the UK will have that too. But again, if we think about this, it goes back to this one model. And I know, for example, I do a lot of work in universities. If I think about Southeast Asian students, particularly from the vast country that is China, often one-to-one -one therapy isn't the best way because it's such a collective culture. It's mm -hmm. about sitting in a circle in a safe space. You know, if it's Mandarin speakers, being able to speak Mandarin. If it's Cantonese speakers, being able to speak Cantonese. If it's any of the other languages that feel that they feel more comfortable with having the space to do that in a group context where, you know, mental health and mental ill health can be talked about within the cultural reference point because there'll be different stigma points in every single different culture. So if a person was like, you know, inside of an organization and they were going to contract with somebody outside for their EAP program or, or some other, you know, resources they wanted to make available for the people in their organization, what are some questions that they would ask to be able to get at whether or not uh, the resources that they were providing do have this element of cultural mm -hmm. awareness, right? Because a lot of that isn't necessarily done from an in-house perspective. A lot of that is really done through third-party providers. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of it would be in the procurement or tendering process. So if you have employee resource groups and you've got a tender process or a, a way of the e-contract, then it would be asking those resource groups about, okay, let's look at this, what we are looking for, what do you think would be helpful, trying to get a broad perspective on it, making sure that this the EAP has counsellors, therapists, supporters from different backgrounds and different walks of life. How do they um, select people? Because many EAPs in the UK you can actually specify you can definitely specify gender most of the time you can sometimes specify sexual orientation if your area um, you know that you want to talk about is around sexual orientation coming out etc so you should be able to do that in terms of culture and it's making sure that your employees will be able to get what they need um, and how does the EAP do that and also what training is given to all staff because it's not just the responsibility of course is it of those counsellors who might identify with being from a particular background but what are the conversations that people are having about um, inequality inequality in health inequality in experience um, also we can't not talk about intersectionality socioeconomic um, impact on people that has a huge part to play if we think about systemic racism how people are forced to live in particular areas um, and therefore as a result you know, they're going to have different outcomes to richer counterparts and richer counterparts from particular majority groups. So there's all of that that you can ask about. And I think it's having the relationship with the suppliers. And if there's a gap to say, oh, well, we've got a really great in-house team and we'd love to work with you um, to help you get to where you need to be. You know, I think that all those questions are ones that can be applied, not just in looking mm. at third-party providers who could, you know, provide support around mental health, but really third-party providers that are doing a lot of different things within our mm. company. So I, I hope that if you're listening, you're, you wrote down that list and, and you're thinking about how you might be able to apply that across a couple of different areas that you're doing procurement in. So, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting um, when we think about how we have these conversations, how we set people up for success, how people actually thrive is really comes back to how are we saying it? 
right? Are, are we actually using language that is inclusive? So what would you say around how, if you are an employer or you're the head of HR, you're a DEI practitioner, and you want to be able to offer these kinds of experiences, what would you say about language? Like what advice would you give as people are thinking about what language to use? Um, and I mean that in all the, the, all the different ways you could interpret it. <laughs> Um, so I think one of the things about language, of course, inclusive language is all about wherever you can through any kind of communication, written, spoken, through video, the medium video, social media, websites, leaflets, etc., is to use words and phrases that are inclusive as possible. Now, I know that language changes. I know that, of course, it shifts. And Deanna and I were having a conversation where she asked me something and I said, isn't it interesting that English spoken in England specifically and English spoken in in particular parts of America, it's the same language technically, but uh, the way in which things are phrased, I, I don't, you know, we have to, we found a middle ground, didn't we? So we did. uh, I think the thing is, is that to be aware of that and to be really clear on why as an organization you are using particular phrases and also to ask for feedback. So sometimes, and maybe this is different in the US because I think the culture is much more direct, but in, in the UK people are like, oh, I'm so scared of saying the wrong thing. And we're not as comfortable talking about race because our history has looked very different to yours. So people say, oh, I just don't want to say anything. And I said, oh, okay, we have that here too. Okay. okay. <laughs> don't give us off the hook. Okay. We have that so, here too. <laughs> I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I said, okay, we know what race hate speech is. So we know what not to say. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, if you're used to using a particular term, you can say, particularly if it's a, uh, an interaction, a group, a, uh, a group project or something that you're doing with a community internally, externally, you say, right, this is the, the vernacular. These are the words that we use. And if there's any other terms you'd like us to use, please tell us and we'll use them. That's okay. I don't think it gives it gives it leaves things open. Now, of course, you can't do that with every single exchange. I understand that, and not every single exchange do you need to necessarily talk about uh, D, E, and I. But I do think that it's about being clear, being about, about willing to be open about it, and to also welcome feedback and say, if we're not getting it right, tell us, and we will look at changing that and have conversations, and to develop systems that are agile enough to be flexible to change things. Yeah. So as we're kind of looking forward and we're thinking about where we're headed, right? And we we all have aspirations of seeing some of this diversity, equity, and inclusion work just really grow within organizations. What are some things or some trends that you're seeing that you're excited about that you feel like, yes, this is going to make a, a big impact in the way that we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in general and, and how we specifically talk about, you know, mental health. Mm. Um, I think that it was very interesting, actually, Deanna. The other day, I ran an action learning set, and it was for uh, what I'll call global majority people of color. And two people in that group who were both men from backgrounds where you probably wouldn't expect them to talk about mental health and struggling started talking about uh, the experiencing mental ill health and where they got support from, which I thought was amazing. And I don't think I would have seen that five years ago. Now, let's be straight. I don't want anyone to suffer or struggle. But the fact that they'd recognized that and gone to seek support that had then worked for them and told the others in the group about it, I thought was a big change. So that was exciting for me. And the other thing is we're having conversations in the UK a lot now. We have a term called BAME, which stands for Black and Minority or Black and Asian 
Asian minority ethnic. And it's really clunky it's it's kind of like a proxy for saying non-white actually but there's there's a bit more to it than that but we're finally having conversations about how this term isn't fit for purpose anymore and people of color in the UK you know if we think about as well as people of color in the US and any diaspora communities we're actually global majority if you think about the continent of China the continent of Africa the continent of South America etc so I'm using that term and I'm feeling people uh, in workplace is having this discussion so that I think that's really really positive and I also think that people are having to you know think about the impacts of the pandemic on different groups and how this is going to impact their workforce and workforce planning now I don't think it's a uniform approach sadly but I do think that there'll be some leaders in the field uh, pushing that will hopefully encourage others to follow suit. Yeah, all of those are are wonderful things. And I just want to highlight specifically what you said about the global majority, because mm-hmm. I am starting to hear people use that terminology more. And I actually am trying to use it more myself because it really does flip the, the kind of normal paradigm on yeah. its head, right? What we use a lot of, or you hear a lot of like minorities, well, mm. but from what perspective, right? And, and how are we determining that? And I do see people uh, taking pause, but that kind of comes back to what we were talking about before of, of what's the inclusive language, right? And, mm-hmm. and how, how are we thinking about the words that we may be using mm-hmm. on a, on a regular basis? Well, I'm actually really encouraged to just to know that more people are taking, uh, paying attention to mental mm-hmm. health, more people are paying attention to mental health and the way that you approach it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really thinking about it from a cultural perspective. I think that that will get us further. I think it will mm-hmm. impact more people positively. So I'm so grateful for all of the work that you are doing in this space. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And it's been wonderful to speak to you today. Thank you. So for everybody here who wants to learn a little bit more about you, maybe listen in on your podcast, <laughs> where, where do they go? Yeah, thank you, Diana. So you can find me on Twitter. The handle is at Diverse Minds UK. There's also a Facebook page at Diverse Minds UK. Um, and my LinkedIn is my name. And I have a business page. Surprise, surprise, Diverse Minds UK Limited. Um, and if you want to check out my podcast, they are on Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcast from the usual outlets, listening outlets. <laughs> Fantastic. And we'll make sure we put all that information in the show notes too. Layla, thank you so much for being here with us today. And to everybody who is listening, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to take in this information, to think about what you are doing in your own spaces as it relates to the topics we covered here today. I really appreciate uh, you doing that. We here at Uplifting Impact believe that the more people who are having these kinds of conversations, who are pushing the boundaries, who are really challenging themselves, and challenging their organizations to do better, the more impact we can have in the world. So make sure that you share the podcast, make sure that you bring a, you know, bring it to your next meeting. Maybe you share it with somebody who has decision-making power or procurement power as it relates to what your EAPs look like. Um, the more we can share, the more we can have these conversations, the more, the more we can do in the world. So thank you for joining us. And we hope that you'll join us again on a future podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.